So let me just throw this disclaimer out because I have several friends whose children either currently attend or formally attended uh, both of those schools that you, you referenced. Welcome back to Not So Black and White, A Community's Divided History. In this episode, what's driving educational resegregation today? When we left off, we were speaking with TCC history professor Dr. Andrea Oliver. She was talking about how two local private schools, McClay and North Florida Christian, were started as segregation academies. I'm your host, Lynn Hatter, and here's the rest of that conversation. Obviously, in 2022, there, there's not going to be this uh, even tacit uh, understanding that only certain people go here. Um, but 2022 was not 1972, okay? While the policies of these private schools wasn't always explicitly stated, and you'll find no trace of it on the school's websites, Oliver notes the segregation policy was an open secret. There was an understanding that if you were not of a certain ethnic or racial background, you just simply did not go to those schools. Uh, Those of you who were lifelong Tallahassians or residents of this area uh, know that. A 1969 article from the Tallahassee Democrat revealed several private schools, including McClay and North Florida Christian, saw a jump in enrollment. Some 1,700 white children transferred to local private schools that year. The reason? Parents were concerned about, quote, the academic quality, values, discipline, and racial problems in Leon County schools. But it wasn't just a racial animus that drove white families away from public schools during integration. So these individuals are saying, we don't not, not only do we not want our kids to go to school with black people, we don't, we don't want our kids to go to school with poor white people. Right? <laughs> so, you know, those dynamics were something uh, that you start to see these communities govern themselves accordingly, if you will. So when, when, when middle-class white people had, to, had the ability to move, upper-class white people also started to think about, well, we don't want to be around them either. Dr. Reginald Ellis teaches history at Florida A&M University. So not only do you see the public schools change, you, start, you see the, the private school movement grow, you see the charter school movement grow, because it becomes about, again, this concept of community. Who do we want to be around? Since its inception, the school choice movement has been embroiled in a fierce debate around race, class, and poverty. In 1955, free market economist Milton Friedman proposed the idea of a system that would use public tax dollars to fund a private school system. Today, that idea is known as school vouchers. A decade later, Friedman's ideas would catch the attention of the political left. Berkeley law professor Jack Coons saw vouchers as a path toward equity, and he proposed tying them to income so that the lowest-earning families could tap into the program and send their kids to higher-performing schools. In the 1970s, the idea of charter schools began to emerge. These schools would be public schools, but without most of the government strings attached. By the time the school choice movement came to Florida, it was with the idea of shoring up failing public schools through competition and serving the lowest income and the most disabled students. And that made sense. Uh, I, as superintendent at the time, I supported that concept. But that concept has morphed into something that 
if you described it in the late 90s, it would be hard to recognize some of the charter schools that we have today. Florida Association of District School Superintendents head Bill Montford was superintendent for Leon County Schools during the emergence of the school choice movement. But he's not a fan of it today. The reason? What was originally meant for low-income kids and those with disabilities has grown to almost an entirely separate system of education, valued today at more than a billion dollars. Charter schools are no longer limited to low-income neighborhoods and places where troubled traditional schools exist. They can sprout up anywhere. And they have, even in places where there's a highly rated public school nearby. In Leon County, if you look at some of the charter schools we have today, they're not in, in traditionally struggling school neighborhoods. I don't think anybody would believe that Swift Creek or, or Buck Lake are struggling they are great schools. They always have been. So if you got a charter school, I think it's Governor's Academy, whatever it is, goes build a brand new school nearby, I'm not sure that fits the mold of the late 90s charter school concept that we have. Florida's multiple voucher programs have now opened to families earning incomes of more than $100,000 a year, a figure that has the potential to keep climbing according to demand. Furthermore, what used to be restricted to families with kids in poor-performing schools is now open to anyone, regardless of whether they've attended a public school in the past and regardless of its academic performance. And Leon Superintendent Rocky Hanna is wary about what comes next. It was hard for us to argue about McKay scholarships. If you had children with profound special needs, uh, the district could not serve. It made sense that you would try to help those parents and families. Then they moved to families with low income and said that if you live in neighborhoods that are poverty stricken, that we would give you a scholarship as well. Now they've made no bones about it. They will not stop until every, every family and every student has an educational savings plan to do what they please with. Education savings plans, also known as vouchers for all. This is the idea that states will send money directly to families and families will be able to choose whatever means they want for educating their child, be it public, private, or homeschool. Hannah says there's just not enough money or room for two separate school systems. And I'm all for competition. I would put our public schools up against uh, any school, uh, public uh, or private. Uh, but it, at the end of the day, it's it's math. It's it's about resources. And there's only so much money going, you know, that, that we have to spend on education. I would like to see a lot more robust competition in the private school market that is targeted to publicly funded students. Erica Donalds served on the state's 2017 Constitutional Revision Commission. She led a failed effort to strip school districts of their ability to approve charter schools. Donald's is a big backer of school choice. Critics of it say Florida is encouraging parents with the means and ability to take their kids out of public schools, leaving behind the kids who, for various reasons, can't leave. We need to rethink public transportation in our state when it comes to how we get children to the schools of their choice. Opponents say choice programs breed inequality because most of the children in low-performing public schools are poor, black, or brown. And they argue the choice movement flies in the face of the American invention of a free public system of education where every child can be educated. But Donald's notes the nation's record on educating all of its children has never been perfect, 
and has, in fact, been riddled by inequity. I don't know that you could say in the history of public education that disadvantaged students have received the same high-quality education as um, students who, who are not in that situation. We're way beyond argument of traditional public schools versus charter public schools versus state, I mean, a private school versus homeschool. You know, let's quit arguing about that. Monford says the time for arguing for or against school choice is over. That's here. Now, how do we best serve every student in this state in the best way for that child, every child, to have an opportunity to be successful? And I would suggest to you that local school boards and superintendents cannot do that alone. They have no control over crime rate. They have no or very little control over the, the, the health care that is provided for, for families, uh, including food. Let's recognize that everybody's got to be at the table. We can't isolate it. We can't, we can't operate in silos. Monford says there will have to be give and take, even from parents. Parents got to step up and say, I love my child. I'm going to do what's best for my child. But we also need to keep it back of our mind what decisions we make have an impact outside of our own family. But he also knows that is a big ask. The Leon County School District began this school year with 2,000 fewer students. And Naomi Coughlin, the district's budget director, is worried. And that's a big concern from where we sit because we aren't growing. Our, our schools are not growing. And that's, you know, just a little scary. In Florida, money follows the student. And when students don't attend traditional public schools, the state allocation leaves with them. During a recent meeting of the Leon County School Board, member Roseanne Wood wondered aloud, I would like to know where the money's going, how many students are, and, and uh, maybe we can talk to the parents and find out why they don't choose to come to Leon County Schools and do a better job. I can tell you why the parents are taking their children out of public school, because I have tried desperately to let my brother know that it's okay to try to still keep them in there. Local parent Elizabeth Davidson spared nothing when she told the school board exactly how she felt about the district. Schools like discipline, and they have become the playground of bullies and tyrants and social experiments, drug dealing, and disruptive cowards that torment those who are just trying to go to school to learn and receive an education. She's not alone in feeling that way. In 2022, Governor Ron DeSantis and the Republican-led legislature pushed new laws on how history, race, LGBTQ issues, and diversity, equity, and inclusion are discussed and taught in public school classrooms and local businesses. Leon Superintendent Rocky Hanna has blamed the governor for stoking discontent. I think we're actually opining about critical race theory and all of these other things that are simply not happening. Some people are buying that narrative. But that discontent has been brewing for a long time. Dr. Reginald Ellis is the assistant dean in the School of Graduate Studies at Florida A&M University. And you're going to always, unfortunately, have a segment of the population who have the fear of the other, mm -hmm. the fear of being replaced, whatever that means. These highly partisan fights over culture echo the growing divide in education. 
Hannah feels school choice has accelerated that gap and allowed people to feel a lot more comfortable being separate from others who don't think, act, or look like them. And our neighborhoods have become more segregated uh, than ever. And, th- and those are the kids then that attend that school. When you add in then school choice to that equation, I think it only exacerbates the problem, uh, which then potentially leads to white flight and kids trying to, to, to cherry pick which schools they want to attend. Some of it, it could be for academic reasons. Unfortunately, some of it, it's, there's still r- racial undertones. If you truly believe in public schools and, and neighborhood schools, then those schools' population will reflect the, the population or the neighborhood in which they serve. It used to be, says former state Senator Bill Monford, that where you lived determined where you went to school. For good or bad, that has changed. Uh, parents, uh, and I believe rightfully so, uh, have far more control than they have in the past. <clears throat> so what does that mean? That means the school boards and the superintendents in the state Uh, have far less authority in terms of the student body makeup of a particular school. Segregation today is a lot more complicated than the racial flight that was seen post-Brown. According to the Century Foundation, today's school segregation is based on income, class, privilege, and poverty. Another report from 2015 found Tallahassee, the seat of state government, is also among the most economically segregated areas in the United States. Poverty is not new here, says Monford. It's just moved from neighborhood to neighborhood over time. Take Charles High School, for example. The Northeast Corridor already had enough students to fill a new high school when the state approved Charles's construction in the late 1990s. But how big should that school have been? That was a chicken-and-egg conundrum. And I appealed to the state. I said, I know what's going to happen. As soon as we build this school, this area is going to grow. So the state agreed, and they let us build the media center larger, cafeteria larger, and the auditorium larger. Because we knew we were going to have growth. So let's look at what, what control the local district has and who's calling the shots. A school district, says Monford can't control growth, nor does it have a say in where new neighborhoods get built. In most cases, it's the parents. It's the parents who decide where their family will live and where their kids will go to school. The Century Report shows most of the educational segregation in Leon County is occurring between its traditional public schools, meaning families have left one public school and decided to go to another elsewhere in the district. The reasons for that vary. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go around the table. I'm just going to ask everybody for their name. And you are? Sydney. And how old are you? I am 11. And you go to? Fairview Middle School. Fairview Middle School. And you are? Corey. And you are mom? Yes, I'm Sydney's mom, and I'm a very young 39. It's okay, I'm 37. You look fabulous. Tommy, Sydney's dad. Sydney Corns was supposed to attend Deer Lake Middle School this year, but she decided to go to Fairview instead. For a bit of context here, here's her dad, Tommy. How long does it take you to get her there if you have to take her? Um, round trip, about an hour and 45 to an hour and 50 minutes. So in the morning with the traffic. 
everything. Whoa. Yeah. Like she gets out of school at four o'clock and she gets off the bus about four fifteen or five fifteen, five twenty. And where does the bus stop? Um, right down the street from our house, thankfully. The Corns family lives in northeast Tallahassee in a highly coveted zip code due to its schools, which are rated higher than schools in other zip codes. But Sydney didn't want to go to Deer Lake. She wanted to go to Fairview for its International Baccalaureate program, which offers harder classes. Fairview is also on the south side of town. Because she's very driven and she has a plan for her life and knows what college she wants to go to. So she's thinking this will get her into that easier, I guess is the right word. So we looked it up and we almost had a heart attack when we saw how far away it was. And then uh, she was like, no, I really want to do it. I really want to do it. And then one of her teachers called me. Two of her teachers called me and was like, hey, you should really think about this. We really think Sydney would do great there. Um, So I was like, okay, okay, we're going to do it. Like, let's let's do this. That's Sydney's mom, Corey. She says she didn't know that public school choice was a thing when the family moved back to the area in 2015. But after realizing that Sydney could attend school anywhere, regardless of where the family lived, it's changed their plans for a new home with more room for their two dogs and a soon-to-be-brought-home Great Dane puppy. Even how they search for a home has changed. Yeah, like, so now we can literally just type in Tallahassee and not, like, 32312 or, you know. And then a little bit further out, there's more. The Corns say they've left churches for being too white, even though they are too. And that's something mom, Corey, has noticed about where the family lives now. But it's just like, there's not a lot of diversity here. Like, we stopped going to a church because it was literally all white people. We're like, this isn't what Jesus looks like. Like, come on. So, that's not our heart. But going to Fairview, I did have to remind her, like, hey, you are now probably going to be a minority. Are you okay with that? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. As long as you're cool, we're cool. Making so. new friends with like all different types of people, and I and I just think it's a very cool and interesting way to get new people from like all from all different places, and just like it's just a good way to learn new things about new people and new places. So I was just like, this this is probably a really good choice for me at all. It's like the people and the school is just like outweighs. That's cool. It's going to be a more realistic, real world, real world setting for you yes. instead of just a isolated area you know so it's not race it's poverty so you can and and what happens is if you're not careful people think that and believe that and you got to tell them if you get in your car and drive to an area that's high poverty you're going to see the same situations you see in Title I, it's, and it doesn't matter. And, the, and some of those are 80% white. Title I is a federal designation for schools with large numbers of families below the federal poverty limit. Former Leon County Superintendent Jackie Pons led the school district during its transition from a majority white to a majority black student body. But instead of blaming choice for exacerbating resegregation, Pons has embraced it as one of the many ways to combat the impact of poverty on student learning. And he's a fan of one particular part of school choice, public school choice, which we just heard about. And I hear you saying that blame on choice is misplaced. It is misplaced. There is no doubt. And and even as a Democrat, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a strong, and I hear this and I tell people, you know, 
don't restrict choice for parents. Uh, when you do that, they've already got choice. See, what you're trying to do is you're ignoring the fact that they've already got three or four charter schools they can go to. So why not give them public school choice too? And let them say, hey, we want you to come here. And, and everybody says, what you're going to do, you're going to dry up schools that, are, that, that have low enrollments. Well, well, there might be some truth to that, but those schools have to be competitive. But you're not going to save schools by putting fences up around them. Much of Leon County's big divisions are in that northeast corridor where the Corns family lives. And Corey Corns says it's a pretty visible split. Almost everyone looks like us. And if not, you're like, oh, they must be a doctor. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like here in the northeast? Yeah. And that's wrong in so many levels but it's probably honest. To answer your question more directly, I think classism is as ingrained in the United States of America as race. For FAMU's Ellis, the conversation about poverty, class, and choice cannot be had without talking about race. It's not by happenstance, says Ellis, that the vast majority of parents are still choosing to send their kids to traditional public schools. But who's pushing back against the system? middle-class white people because they don't want to send their kids to private charter schools. They want their kid to go to Leon. They want their kid to go to Cobb. They want their kid to go to Kate Sullivan. And they don't want to see tax dollars leave those schools because those schools represent the larger community. So it's not black people that's necessarily fighting against it. It's middle-class white people fighting against it. The Corns family says they value diversity because the rest of the world is way more than just black and white. Everybody won't talk about who they think that I can be. But you should get to know you before you think you could ever know me. Hold up. Everybody won't talk about who they think Back at Leanne County's Oak Ridge Elementary School, Principal Jasmine Smith is fighting to beat the odds. The pandemic caused heartbreak for some of her students and their families. One student says Smith woke up at home to find a sibling she shared a bed with had died in the middle of the night. I just can't even put into words, like when I think about it, as I'm talking with you, my heart is racing because... I almost, I don't even want to, you don't even want to picture it. But here is a little girl that is living it and has to come to school dealing with all of that and still addressing learning loss. And for this mother, she said, I want to be sure that you know I'm not a bad mother. She said, but I didn't know what to do. Stories of heartache, homelessness, and hunger are ones Smith deals with every day with the families who attend her school. It's why her school has a food pantry, a washer and dryer, a hair station, and a clothing area, so families can have access to these things. Even with the pandemic, though, Oak Ridge is in far better shape than it was five years ago. For one, it managed to end the four-year streak of D and F grades. It earned a C this year. 
Jasmine Smith's Oak Ridge has brightly colored classrooms, remodeled bathrooms, and a fully stocked library full of new books, brightly colored chairs, and computers. There's even a meditation room. So if children come to school and there's anything that needs to happen for them, school supplies, whatever it is, we have staff persons who hair. Um, and we're glad to take care of those things because those don't need to be the things that keep children from learning. And I think that if a school is going to be a true community school, you work to meet the needs of the families and you meet them where they are without judgment. And FAMU's Dr. Ellis does not see us going back to a time when the photos in that Oak Ridge yearbook were all white. These individuals didn't grow up seeing black people go to the back door. These individuals have played on sports team with with these uh, with each other, and and so what? That's what perhaps this fear of the individuals who have a fear of the other seeing. They, my assessment is, they fear their children embracing the concept of a holistic, larger community and not necessarily embracing their siloed community or, or, or expanding their siloed community. It's a very interesting time and it's an exciting, as, as messy as it is, this is what democracy is. I have been around for 50 years. I don't think I've ever seen the potential for as much dramatic change in public education in the state of Florida as I see now. We are in the midst of tremendous change. Some will say this good, some will say it's not. So how do we move how do we move forward? Moving forward, says Monford, will take leadership at both the state and local level. And that will be just the beginning. I'm your host, Lynn Hatter, and you're listening to Not So Black and White, a community's divided history. Brought to you by WFSU Public Media. I never knew to drown, I'm never coming